Where were you when Katie Taylor won her Olympic gold medal seven years ago in London? Were you with friends? Were you in work? Did you scream at the television? Did you suddenly become an expert in throwing a left hook? If that was you, you're not alone. Perhaps more than anything else, there's little that stops Ireland quite like seeing one of our own succeed on the international sporting stage. It's a feeling that stays with us, and surely one we'd like to have more of, right? Hello and welcome to Ireland 2029, Shaping Our Future. We're partnering with Volkswagen to look at 10 big ideas that could shape Ireland's future for the better. In each episode, we put forward an idea and tease out what benefit it could have. Is it feasible? And if so, should we be doing it? Next year, Tokyo 2020 becomes the centre of gravity for all things sport, as the city will host the 32nd Olympic Games. But what about the 34th? Could Ireland become a force to be reckoned with by the time Los Angeles 2028 comes around and beyond? I'm your host, Ronan Duffy, and this is Ireland 2029, Shaping Our Future. To discuss the question of Ireland's potential, we're joined by Peter Sherrod, CEO of the Olympic Federation of Ireland. It's the OFI's job to make sure that Team Ireland is in tip-top shape going to an Olympic Games and to ensure that our athletes are in the best possible place to compete for those coveted medals. So Peter, how do we go about maximising our performance at Olympic Games? We need to look at the, the participation, the structures behind it, the coaching structures, the pathways for athletes to reach those elite levels when we're deciding. The better prepared they are to, to compete at the very peak, the very pinnacle, which would be the Olympics. If you look at the medal count through the recent games, it is rather inconsistent. And we need to convert that into greater consistency. So you might have Rio, for example, where we had uh, 16 top 10 finishes to 14 in London. Yet in Rio, there were two medals compared to our record six in London. And what we need to do is look at what uh, other peer countries are doing. So we've looked at Denmark, we've looked at New Zealand, we've looked at the Netherlands, for example. And, you know, a decade ago, their medal tallies were fairly similar and fairly inconsistent. But it's by getting that experience at uh, world, European, junior and senior level, getting athletes used to performing in those environments. And that is happening. And it really is happening very, very visibly the last couple of years. It will help them when they go to compete at that highest level to increase the conversion rate from top 10 finishes into podium finishes. And that's something that we see as important. I'm joined in the studio now by the 42.E's Ryan Bailey, who's producing this episode and has reported extensively about the athletics and other Olympic sports, and will of course be doing so ahead of the Olympics next year. So Ryan, listen to Peter there. It's obviously about training and about giving experience to athletes so that they can reach the top and then have a better chance of converting those top tens into Olympic medals. You know, it makes a lot of sense, but to get to a lot, that point, there's a lot more to have to happen first, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Peter obviously spoke about it there, but there's been a huge shift internally in the Olympic Federation of Ireland. You know, the Olympic brand, I suppose, was damaged massively through the, the events, obviously, that happened in, in Rio three years ago. And through Peter and, and Sarah Keane, who's come in now as well, they've really rebuilt the whole image and brand of the Olympic Federation of Ireland. They've, mm. It's now very athlete orientated. He, as he spoke about, they brought in a, a host of new sponsors who are back in the athletes. And that's obviously great to see. There's a lot of positive momentum behind the Olympic movement now. But as you say, it's, it's about success and it's about how they can help and facilitate the success of athletes. The services that they now provide are 
top notch, they're world world class, but that's been slow in coming. It's been very slow in coming, in fact. So I think it's hard to kind of say over the next four years or eight year cycle that we'll be able to be able to be a huge shift to change our success at Olympic level because I think it's going to be a long-term thing as opposed to a short-term thing. But certainly they're putting the, the foundations in place now, which is, a, which is a very encouraging and positive start. One of the things that, you know, Peter mentioned, he, I think he called them peer countries and, you know, they're countries yeah. that are similar size to us, like the Netherlands and Denmark and, and New Zealand. And I, I think New Zealand is one that you've had a look at before. And just to put some context in that for people, over the last 20 years, New Zealand has won 50 medals. That's over summer and winter Olympics to Ireland's 12. So, so what is it they've done to kind of achieve this? It's been a very, very bold move, um, what they adopted. And as you say, the, the comparisons between ourselves and New Zealand on, I suppose, a sporting level and just a general level between the two nations is, is quite striking. There's, there's a lot of similarities there. And actually, Leo Varadkar has kind of mentioned it before in the sporting context that how New Zealand have punched above their weight, I suppose, with limited resources. And in fact, last year, Sport New Zealand were invited over to, to Dublin um, at a keynote conference titled the, the New Zealand Way Grassroots to Greats, What Can Ireland Learn? And they invited um, the chief executive, Peter Miskaman, over, and he's a former Olympian himself. And I spoke to him, as you say, um, last year and about kind of their bold and radical move to streamline funding into certain sports. Mm. And it's huge dividends, um, remarkable results, as you said there, you know, since the 20, 2000 Olympics you know, 50 medals across both the summer and winter games for a nation of their size with limited resources in comparison to the Olympic powerhouses, the traditional, you know, GBs, China's, all those nations, America, is is incredible, really. And when you compare that to Ireland's 12, you know, we're quite happy with our 12 and, and you know, they've been hugely successful. But 50 is a different level completely. And it's an interesting model. It's a, it's a bold one, as I say. It's a radical one. There's a lot of controversy around at the time because you're cutting funding from certain sports and putting more funding into sports that they feel that they have more potential in. And I suppose that's something you mentioned. It is a bold decision to go this way. But, you know, if someone like Leo Radker is aware of it, there's certainly perhaps, if not a push for it, there's an awareness of perhaps that's a route we could go down. But you mentioned there there would be difficult decisions you'd have to make in terms of funding. So there are sports that would, would suffer in, 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 in a context like that. Yeah, if like... The New Zealand model is obviously one that looked at quite closely. And, you know, at the time when they brought it in, there was a lot of federations that were angered by it. You know, smaller federations that had their funding completely cut. Now, we're not just talking about reduced, we're talking about completely cut at a high performance level. So in the long run, you are reducing participation numbers really at certain certain sports. You're, if young kids are coming through and a certain sport doesn't have any funding and there's no kind of career prospect there, kids aren't going to go down that route. They're going to go down the route that there's more funding in sports. So, you know, that's obviously a, a dangerous tactic, but they invested heavily in, in certain, around half a dozen Olympic sports. And that's... Re and I suppose even if you, you know, it's a dangerous tactic, like you said, I suppose some of like the argument for it is that, okay, we focus on, let's say, six sports, probably more than that, but let's say six sports, and we start winning medals and that. People get an interest in Olympics and people just start playing sport a bit more and that benefits everybody. Is that part of the argument? That is the argument, but on, on the other side of the argument is that Sport Ireland and the Olympic Federation of Ireland are obviously trying to facilitate success at Olympic level. But Sport Ireland's agenda is twofold. They also want to increase participation at a grassroots level across a number of different sports. And they've got a huge amount of initiatives all around the country trying to promote sport and healthy living. 
So if they were suddenly to make a move and strip back funding for certain sports, that's surely going against, you know, that tactic of trying to, mm. that agenda of trying to increase participation across all sports. So it's a difficult one, you know, and I think in New Zealand, I think the phrase was there was blood on the floor, essentially. Well, one kind of problem I see with it, you know, I'm someone who watches Olympics every four years and I enjoy perhaps getting up at seven o'clock in the morning and watching some random race and you don't realise there's going to be an Irish person in the race and suddenly there is. Yeah. And you have an interest in it, they might lose the race, but you've had an interest in a race you might otherwise have had. You don't want perhaps to be so harsh that athletes who don't have a chance again in the final are even taken out of heats completely. And, you know, that kind of reduces Ireland's interest in Olympics overall. It can't be all just about medals. Yeah, and, and that was the interesting thing that I took from a chat with Peter Miskaman from Sport New Zealand. It was one of the, the kind of the quotes that stuck with me is, was bet where you think you're going to win. You know, winning is obviously hugely important because the government is investing huge amount of money and taxpayers' money into facilities out in the Sport Ireland campus, athlete funding. But is it all about winning? As you say, you know, getting to Olympic Games is a huge achievement in itself and, and getting to an Olympics inspires others. Do we need an athlete to be on the podium to then to bring that to the next level to inspire others? Probably not. So we have to be realistic as well. Trying to become an Olympic powerhouse, what does that actually mean? Mm. You know, we're not going to go and win 50 medals over the next couple of Olympic cycles as New Zealand have done. Let's be realistic about it. So what does success mean and, and how do you define that? And that's obviously what Peter has spoken about and, and what the OFI kind of have to kind of decipher, I suppose, for themselves and what their primary focus is. Okay, so ruthless, cutthroat and bold. That's one way to describe such an approach. But we wanted to find out precisely how likely it is that Ireland could make major changes to our Olympic priorities. We heard earlier from Olympic Federation of Ireland CEO Peter Sherrod about what Ireland could do, but we wanted to find out more. So I sat down with him in studio to find out not only if Ireland could make a bigger drive for medals, but also whether it's the right thing to do at all. Working in line with our strategy, putting athletes first, first enabling that performance, inspiring the country, uh, getting sponsorship in to be able to support those activities is really, really important. But on top of that, we work under a range of, of different areas on the high performance side where they're partners in the Sport Island Institute and in sports operations, games operations, athlete support, funding and grants and so on. So there's a wide range of areas that we've been involved in, as well as what you might expect in terms of communications and marketing and um, funding and grants. So... I suppose if, if you look at the current cycle, we're just one year away from Tokyo. During the last 12 months, we have given out to sports approximately 520,000 euros in grants. And those are often on the technological side. So you would have uh, money that's been given to Cycling Ireland to support um, wind tunnel testing. You would have money that's been given to Sailing Ireland to support uh, wind uh, weather patterns within the actual Tokyo venue. Uh, you would have money that's been given to eventing to support equi ratings, which is using equi algorithms to give you just that technological edge that can really make a difference when the, the level of competition is so intense. 
We also have worked with sports on a more straightforward basis so that the athletes themselves are experiencing Tokyo a year in advance. So, for example, with the recent 4x100 uh, relay team that competed in women's relay team that competed in Yokohama, we paid uh, for Athletics Ireland to bring that team out to the pre-games training camp in Fukuroi so that the athletes themselves could experience that environment a year in advance. And that's immensely beneficial, not just to the athletes themselves, but also to us so that we can learn and perfect a year in advance of the Tokyo Games from a performance perspective. So there's a wide range of activities that the public might not necessarily be aware of that we're directly supporting the uh, performance programs of the NGBs. It's it's to leverage and add to the support that's already get provided. That the majority of it comes through Sport Ireland, but it's by working together within the system that we can improve those results. We have... For example, scholarships, we have 12 uh, Olympic athletes on scholarships uh, for Tokyo 2020. That's really aimed at young athletes. So you would have the likes of uh, Leona Maguire, uh, Mark Downey from cycling. You have Nat Nagin from badminton. You'd have Reese McLennigan from, from gymnastics, for example, that are all recipients of uh, our Tokyo 2020 Olympic scholarships. We really want within the system to be uh, ensuring that we're on an upward trajectory. I think that's really important. That is happening when you look at the junior and senior uh, medals at world and uh, European level. Mm -hmm. So, for example, during 2018, which was a good year, but it wasn't at your best. Uh, 2015, I think, was our best uh, when we had 79 medals at, at, at all across all those categories. 2018, though, we had 77. But if you compare that to a decade, a decade ago, it's almost unrecognisable. So we are doing things correctly in Sport Ireland, uh, to their credit, are doing a lot of things correctly in terms of putting the facilities in place and making sure that the performance environment mm. is there through the Sport Ireland Institute to support the athletes in their performances. The more athletes are getting to perform at that level, the better prepared they are to, to compete at the very peak, the very pinnacle, which would be the Olympic yeah. Games. We have to recognise that the system is relatively young. Uh, the government has, a, has, has just committed to increasing funding for high performance sport and it's very, very welcome from 11 million per annum to 33 million per annum over the next decade. And that will certainly assist our national governing bodies uh, and the Sport Institute to develop in tandem to be able to prepare our athletes to the highest levels. Um, you know, if a country was to decide to you know, take a laser focus on the specific sports where they feel they have a good chance of getting a medal or maybe even just reaching the final, you know, how difficult is that to implement? And, you know, what kind of pushback is there against those kind of decisions? I think there's a lot of natural pushback, but I think sometimes you have to separate the high performance end of sport and the elite side of sport and the participation uh, side of sport. You know, there's there's a huge amount of funding that goes into the participation end of sport, and mm. it's extremely important for a whole variety of reasons that I don't really have to go into. <laughs> yes, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it, it provides so much benefit throughout the country, from a community, from a health, from a social point of view. High performance sport also does that, but it is, you are competing in a very, very competitive environment. That doesn't apply for, for participation. So you have to adopt competitive principles. We've worked extremely hard since last year and even before to bring new sponsorships in. So we have brought in uh, FBD as a sponsor. We have Adidas in as a sponsor. We have partners like Circle K and Indeed. And come this autumn, we'll see some really exciting activation plans from those companies and those partners. And we're very, very welcome to support the athletes directly. And that will be tangible benefits that will actually support 
the men and women who represent us from all around the country, from all different walks of life, and effectively put their lives completely on hold for that really, really pure ideal of competing to be the best of 7.5 billion people, the best yeah. on the planet. You know, it's an incredible sacrifice, and it's it's something that we really do owe them as a country to support them properly in that, in that endeavour. A lot to think about there, particularly around how national governing bodies both promote their sports and also protect their athletes. The Federation of Irish Sport is a representative group for over 100 of those bodies and its CEO Mary O'Connor is at the forefront of advocating for their priorities. I wanted to hear from her about how those organisations work under tight budgets and how they'd feel if they were suddenly deemed surplus to Olympic requirements. From a national governing body a point of view, for the, up until the last year, funding from government for sport in Ireland was, was flatlined. Um, it was static for 10 years. And then uh, Budget 2019, there was an increase of €2 million Euros, um, in core funding for national governing bodies. And, and that was welcomed. Then it was distributed to the 58 national governing bodies um, of sport. And that was separate to the increase of €1.5 million to high performance uh, programs that national governing bodies would help would have as well. So that was all um, very much welcomed. Obviously, from a national governing body point of view, they don't exist um, on government uh, funding alone. Uh, they would have their own individual sponsorships and so on. And in that point of view, um, on-site sponsorship last year revealed that there was $220 million spent on sponsorship in Ireland uh, alone, and $170 million of that sponsorship was spent on sport and associated activities. So, so that's a good news story, and that obviously um, sport is associated with health, well-being, uh, community and so on and, and brands want that to resonate with the, with their audience and I, I think you know, that's one of the issues we've, we've been trying to touch on especially it's when it comes to national governing bodies and there's there's almost two parts of it. There's the promotion of the sport and how it helps the community, and also there's the professional uh, high performance end of the sport. So, so can you maybe talk a bit about how a balance is achieved from a governing body's point of view? How do they achieve both things? My my own opinion would be that obviously to get high performance athletes, they have to start somewhere, and that's at grassroots with volunteer coaches, volunteer administrators, and so on. And I think for the most part, national governing bodies. Are striking the correct balance because they have to have a wide base to ensure that you know that people who do come to the top that they're supported as well. And and Sports Ireland, for their part, they recognise this to give national governing bodies core funding that they can spend on participation, and they also give national governing bodies high performance funding to support those athletes. I think national governing bodies now as well are looking at supporting the emerging athlete, those athletes maybe who are. 16, 17, 18, who are probably showing talent, showing application and support them and to look ahead to the Olympics in 2024 or 2028. And um, it, I would think it is a, a very difficult balance, but I think, you know, all sport exists in this country first um, and foremost at a, at a grassroots level. And that's how we succeed in getting our athletes to come along through the pathway that the national governing body provides through competition, events, fixtures and so on to become elite athletes. Uh, one of the things I, I spoke to Peter Sherrod about was about, uh, we were asking this questions about whether we should make medals, you know, a greater priority. And he spoke about, there are several issues to that, but one could be, it could be detrimental to, to athlete welfare. So, so from a governing, governing body's point of view, what safeguards do you think can be put in place to ensure that athletes, you know, aren't pushing themselves too hard for for to get funding or to get medals? How, how, do, we, how do we ensure that doesn't happen? For, for the most part, um, I think, you know, 
we need to look at the emerging talent. I think that, like, the, the emerging talent in this country, or you're talking about your 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds who are obviously underage, their children, and it's about safeguarding them because obviously, um, when our high performance athletes are in their 20s, they're adults, they can make their own decisions. Um, the most important thing for me is that they have a support network around them um, and they have people who can offer them advice and they can confide in because there are different pressures. Uh, for athletes who are trying to achieve um, international recognition or achieve at the world stage. Um, I also think that Sport Ireland are doing an awful lot of great work on trying to have the dual dual work in terms of having them as an athlete, but also in terms of making sure they're getting their education and that they have a a career once they're uh, athletic career is over and I don't think that can be underestimated either I mean the transition from an athlete who was maybe a carded athlete for maybe 9 to 10 years going back into the, uh, the world where they don't have that support mechanism is really important and that transition pathway is, is really really important and also it's important for young athletes coming through that they feel that they are supported that they're able to to balance their training with their school or college work and also that they have the opportunity to, to talk about what pressures that they feel because it's different for every individual athlete or individual team, you know. So that's the official and representative perspectives. But what of the athletes themselves? Brian Gregan is one such person who's pursuing his Olympic dream in one of the most competitive disciplines there is. Gregan is one of Ireland's top male sprinters, but just missed out on the last two Olympics. He's now trying again to get to Tokyo and he sat down with Ryan to speak about what exactly it takes to reach the Olympic standard. How the last two years been for you? Because you obviously had that big performance in London um, at the Worlds and you kind of, it seemed as though you got your career back on track, maybe externally, that was kind of the, the viewpoint. But as you say, it's kind of been a difficult two years since with, with injuries and setbacks. Yeah, like it's the nature of elite sport is that it's, you know, when you get to the top of it, there's usually a, a drop at the bottom. Um, so I've that's kind of been this uh, kind of sum of my career is lots of highs and lots of lows. But um, London, obviously a high and looked like, you know, I was starting to compete with the best in the world. And, you know, I was probably teeing myself up for maybe European medal in Berlin last year. Then obviously trying to gone well into 2018 of just that, injury that came out of nowhere and um, stress fracture in my ankle and had to have an operation on that. Back in February you were obviously announced as part of the 2019 Sport Ireland funding scheme and you were back on that after maybe a couple of tricky years and, and at the time you said with their continued support we can grow as a nation and become a hub for sporting success. What's your viewpoint of the kind of the funding scheme? Because as you say, you've been on and off it a number of times. You've had to deal with the pressures of having to perform to get your funding back in the first place. So where do you kind of stand on it now that you're back on it, I suppose, and you have that support? Yeah, no, it's it's a huge part of it. And we're quite lucky in Ireland that we do have really good funding um, for Olympic athletes. You know, we have the, the 40, 20, 12 down and um, Euro versions of 40,000, 20,000, 12,000, which is, you know, a, a substantial amount of money. But again, you know, you're competing against big nations that are, are well supported as well. So kind of being, I'd been on, knocked on and off the, the program, but Alex Arl had continued to mm. support me um, regardless of that. So I'm, I'm you know, unbelievably f- fortunate when I wasn't carded by Sport Ireland, I was still supported by Athletics Ireland and able to, to train and access um, physio support and stuff like that. So that was, that was crucial financially there's very few people make a whole lot of money out mm. of the sport there's probably in in track and field and athletics in, in ireland at the moment you probably have three or four people making a good earning out of it but at any stage they get a bad injury they could lose 
a lot of that um, con- contracts and, and so on. Um, it's cutthroat and that's that's understandable. Um, but it is stressful and it does, you know, we, there's a lot of discussion about mental health and stuff like that. And it doesn't, dis, you know, it, it has a massive effect on your health because you're, th- you're living day to day. And what am I going to be able to afford? What camps am I going to go on? How am I going to get, you know, I was spending 1500 euro a year on tolls just going through the M50. Mm. And I was like, right, if I lose my funding, that's, you know, another 1500 euro I have to find to get there. It might seem glamorous when you see us maybe on our Instagram, traveling around the world, racing and stuff like that. But the winter months when we're we're at home and we're grinding through training, it's it's difficult. But in fairness, our funding is good. We've very little to complain about. Our support structures have grown massively. The one thing we're missing, and, and maybe not in the other sports, but definitely in athletics, is the no professional coaches. So we have no professional coaches in athletics okay. whatsoever. And um, so my coach, John Shields, is um the retired teacher so he mm. does this for the love of it he works as a professional coach but he doesn't get paid for it so he works the hours but doesn't get paid the facilities have come the next step is the coaching to to start to bring in that coaching you see it now in swim ireland they're starting to see it. when you see swim ireland the guys now everything's a record as in every performance you see is record 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 and part of that is to do with guys hadn't done those events before mm. but they now because they have a kind of a, a small structure those guys all train under one coach and they're reaping the rewards of having the one professional coach and then they have their S&C coach as well. So it's really good to see that a small team like that are starting to excel. We're back in studio now, but myself and Ryan, and we're ready to fire up the journal.ie's Ireland 2029 great forecasting machine. Now, predictions when it comes to sport are a notoriously bad idea, but we're going to throw caution to the wind and predict the future anyway. So, Ryan, I'm going to let you fire the starter's gun and let the machine tell us whether Ireland could be an Olympic medal powerhouse by 2029. Yeah, I'll just plug it in here now. Let's hope there's enough ink in it now. This is going to be a long verdict. (laughs) Okay, it's working. It's like waiting on a virus. It's tense, it's tense. <laughs> okay. okay, I've got the piece of paper here now, Ronan. What does it say? Uh, possible, but unlikely. Okay, so that's... That our, really doesn't come as a surprise, No, possible, it? but unlikely is kind of how I would have thought it. It doesn't really touch on whether or not Ireland should be doing this yeah. but it does show that there are other countries that have done this but that there's a lot of work we'd have to do for you yeah. know, to happen yeah i think as as P- we heard from peter there as well like it's it's worth looking at other models but you know not one size fits all and you know ireland is you know every country is different and it would be easy i suppose if you're looking at you know purely success and i know the ofi have got sponsors on board and that yeah. sort of stuff so they want to meet targets and media coverage and all that kind of stuff but as we touched on before is that you know you've got different athletes from across a wide range of sports and if you were to suddenly tell them that they there's no point in chasing your olympic dream because you won't be funded in the future it just seems it's illogical i mean really. and it also kind of throws out the question exactly where do you draw these lines because you know i know we have some very strong sprinters at youth level particularly uh, female athletes i think we saw there was a double gold medal uh, in the european youth olympics there recently by rashidi adelecki but you know do we classify that as an olympic hope because there's a big gap between youth level and olympic level so those kind of questions are really difficult to answer yeah sure potential always doesn't come through and that's yeah. obviously the big thing now and you know, Brian himself will say it that, you know, he was 
one of those potential stars uh, not so long ago. As you yeah. said, he won the medal at the European Under-23 Championships and, and, you know, different injuries and setbacks have kind of, you know, hindered his progress and, and he's trying to qualify for his first Olympics on an individual basis this year or next year. So, yeah, it's, it's difficult to know, but we also must point out that it... it Ireland is very successful, yeah. you know, in, in qualifying athletes for Olympic Games. And mm. it's not all about getting to the podium. You know, Natalia Coyle last week, modern athlete, she's the perfect example. She's taken advantage. This is her third Olympics. She mm. qualified for Tokyo. And, you know, she's used the uh, facilities and expertise available in Sport Ireland campus now. They've got great training facilities out there. And she's one of the absolute fantastic success stories. And whether she p- finishes on the podium in Tokyo, she's got a great chance because she's really progressed. But whether she finishes on the podium or not will not define her and as I an athlete. And I thought some of the most interesting points um, from both Peter and Mary came when they spoke about athlete welfare, and particularly in the case of younger athletes, um, in that, you know, if we were to put this intense focus on winning or even more of a focus on winning medals, that athletes could perhaps ignore some little niggles and, and then leave them open to more injuries. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it is a dangerous you know, it's a ball move if we were to go down that that way. And I just can't, I know the outcome for us here is yeah. is possible, but unlikely, but I just really can't see it. I think our model, our system is absolutely fine. I think we'll have a really, really strong, I know it's still over a year away, but I think we'll have a really strong Tokyo Games. I'm mm. looking forward then to 2024 and 28, 28 the, you know, the way things are at the moment and the young athletes, as you mentioned, coming up, there's real prospects there and, you know, the, the future looks really bright. And I think that's kind of a good note to end on it because we do have an Olympics coming up next year. We have one coming up in five years and we'll have another one in 10 years. And I know I'll be watching, I'll still be watching no matter whether Ireland isn't medal powerhouse or not but let's hope that we can at least improve in our performance and I think we've shown that we we have the facilities there to make that happen Absolutely Thanks for listening to the ninth episode in this 10 part series on Ireland 2029 This episode was brought to you by producer Ryan Bailey presenter Ronan Duffy series producer Orla Ryan editor Andy Roberts and executive producer Christine Bohan Thanks to Paula Lyon and all of our contributors for this week's episode Ireland 2029 is a podcast from the journal.ie, supported by Volkswagen. It's time for electric cars for the people. Discover the future of electric mobility with the Volkswagen ID family at Volkswagen.ie.